my partner Brandon Averill today. Disclaimer, Eric Averill and Brandon Averill are the co-founders of AWM Capital. Due to industry regulations, it's essential to explicitly state that investment or strategies mentioned on this podcast may not be suitable for you, and you should discuss your specific situation with a qualified, certified financial planner. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of AWM Capital or its affiliates. For more information, visit athleteceo.com. Welcome, athletes and entrepreneurs, back to the Athlete CEO Podcast. I'm excited for today's show uh, for a few different reasons. First and foremost, um, I'm sitting here with one of my close personal friends, former teammate, uh, former Major League Baseball player, and now the owner and co-founder of Did Red Conditioning and CrossFit and the KST uh, Shoulder Program. So, Jeff, thanks for joining us on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Eric. This is a lot of fun for me. Um, just for a few reasons, you know, so many of our audience members are professional athletes and it's one of those conversations that we always have on this side of our careers going, I wish I would have known. Um, and so sitting with you, one of the first things that I always want to make sure our audience understands is like, why should I even listen to this guy? There's, uh, we live in a day and an age where everybody's a self-proclaimed expert, sure. uh, whether it's using social media or YouTube and, and says, why should you listen to me? And so um, I'll talk about your accolades so you don't have to talk about yourself, but Arizona State, you know, we played at one of the most iconic programs. I think we still hold the record as uh, the most major league baseball players out of any yeah. university in the United States. And you were recently named as one of the 30 uh, most iconic players to come through our program, program of Barry Bonds and Reggie Jackson and, and just these, these crazy names. And so that college career, another highlight I saw was, you know, you still hold the, the record for most home runs for Team USA since the wooden bat era. Um, after that professional career, you're now one of the elite uh, members of, of Major League Baseball. And so, you know, on the field, I think it's, it's, there's so much evidence to say, you know, you know what it's like to be elite. You know what it's like to, I think even at ASU, you're second overall in home runs, I think even ahead of Barry Bonds. And so we look at that evidence and go, okay, he, he's performed on the field. But one of the things that I've realized in my life is where you learn the most is actually not through through the, the accolades. A lot of it's through the valleys, the trials. And, and I know your path has not been just a smooth one from the beginning. Yeah. And that's actually where I want to love for you to share your story with our audience is to actually talk about your journey. Um, and so while it ended as you as one of the most iconic players at ASU, why don't we start there? Tell me, tell me about the, the beginning journey at ASU. How did that start? Yeah, so at, at ASU, I mean, it was kind of a, a whirlwind of a, of a situation because I was a guy out of high school that wasn't heavily recruited. I didn't have, ASU was the only division one college to ever talk to me. And so I was slated to go to a junior college, Chandler Gilbert Community College. And about a month before school started, um, ASU had me come to one of their camps and um, they had me hit for Murph afterwards. And I guess he liked what he saw. And so they wanted to schedule a meeting with me. Um, and in that meeting, they asked, hey, what, what would it take to get you here? So things kind of materialized where I end up 
month before school started, decide, all right, I'm going to ASU. Um, and it was a place that I always wanted to play, obviously being from, from Tempe. So um, that was kind of a, a crazy development. And then as I got there, um, you know, it turned out like, hey, you're probably not going to play every day here. You can either redshirt or go back to junior college because um, we'd like you to develop and get a little bit stronger. And so I decided that, you know, I was up for the challenge, even though, hey, I might not be playing for a year. I thought it was in my best interest to invest my time in the weight room and start to develop some strength and, and get more physically developed. Um, because I knew at the, in the long run, of course, of my career, that that was going to be the best for me. Um, you know, I always, I always had that, that, that vision of where do I want to get to and then figuring out, okay, what's my best move in the moment. And so that was a hard one though, because, you know, I, I was able to be in the dugout, but there came a point in time where they said, Hey, red shirts, you got to be in the stands. Wow. So it was a weekend series against the university of Oklahoma. And that Friday night, they said, you got to be in the stands. I think that was really where it hit me. It's like, you, you, you know, you're making the right decision, but it's still like, you know, until it actually happens, yeah. it really hits you hard. And so I, I was struggling a little bit with that. Um, but then that Friday night after the game, I had gotten a call, call from um, our assistant coach, Jay Spera, and he said, hey, uh, be ready tomorrow. And I'm kind of thinking like, All right, <laughs> I, I don't even know what to, what to, yeah. how to take that. And then show up um, before the game on Saturday, and they had a meeting with with um, about five of us and said, hey, we're going to make some changes. We're not, we're just, you know, things weren't going the way they wanted. And they said, Larry, you're starting at, at third base. <laughs> and I was like, like out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, and that was a real shock to me. But the, the thing about the way I was raised um, is that I was always prepared. Yeah. And whether I was a starter, whether I was a bench guy, whatever, whatever it was, I was always preparing as if I was playing every day. And so that's how I went about my business in, in terms of how I prepared um, and what I feel really helped me then enter into the lineup and go three for four that night and then, yeah. you know, never come out. Um, so that, that, was, that was kind of a crazy time. Another crazy time is just um, as I got to my sophomore year after I put I invested, even after my freshman year, I invested more time yeah. into to my strength development um, on the physical side. And my sophomore year comes and we have just a crazy good team, um, as you know. Yeah. And with those guys surrounded, surrounded around me and the developments that I made, I just had a, a crazy year. Um, just put up some crazy numbers. Yeah. And I think, you know, for the audience, they, they don't realize one of the the benefits we had is you weren't just training at, at you know, in LA Fitness down the street. You're right. at what we know as Exos today or yeah. API and Mark Verstegen. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, buying into to that type of process and being a strength coach now and being an owner of, of a gym and, and talking to athletes is how did you, when you say you had a plan and a preparation, like how should an athlete be approaching their, you know, their performance? Oh, um, you know, we were fortunate enough to get connected up with, with Mark Verstegen and yeah. thankfully did because they had a tremendous plan and their, their whole, um, philosophy was centered around movement. And so we really, it wasn't just going and throw around some weights and do a workout because right. that's going wrong, you know, at a million different places. 
Um, but you know, what really keep me into, to Mark was the, the movement side of it, that mm. component and, and noticing how, when I can start to control my body and coordinate it better, um, through the training in the, in the weight room on the performance side, how much of an impact that made on the baseball side. Right. Um, and it, you know, fortunately for me, I had a dad who had a PhD in exercise science, so I kind of knew the importance, um, but the buy-in and seeing those results really came through understanding my body better and moving better. Um, you know, and, and it's a constant process. I mean, I'm learning now as I look back, um, you know, at how I felt about my swing and my movement. I know so much more now about body movement being on this side right. where I'm like, dude, I would have been a way better hitter. Yeah. Like I would have been a way better defensive player because I understand my body better right. and I understand how to position it uh, more efficiently and move more in a more coordinated fashion to maximize as good as I felt like I was then. Right. Um, I've learned so much more now. Yeah. I think it's interesting. I, you know, obviously being a private wealth manager, we always talk about, we're trying to, to help people increase their net worth, right? Make a return on their investment and investment and, and, so many times we sit down with athletes or, or really people in your position that are the experts and go, the best investment you could make as an athlete is is in your in your health, right? Your yeah. physical, you know, <coughs> mental, spiritual, all of that that situation. What's what's one of the biggest mistakes that you see athletes make when it comes to approaching, you know, working out or training? Oh, man, you, you know, I, I think I think really finding the right people to surround yourself with, um, whose agenda is to help the athlete. Mm. Um, you know, I'm not trying to attack anybody out there, but I, I think there people have agendas in life. And, and yeah. I think you, you know, finding those people that are really about the athlete and helping the athlete get the best information possible. Um, who kind of, you know, for me, the, the thing that I, you know, try and make everybody aware of, I've been through everything as an athlete. <laughs> I've been, you know, top rated prospect. I've been a bench guy. I've been this, that, and the other, right. not recruited, whatever, whatever it is, you know? And so I understand what that feels like. Yeah. Um, and, and I definitely think that a lot of guys don't get surrounded with the, they don't surround themselves with the right people. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of the, the investment side of it is, yeah, I mean, investing in your body is, is probably one of the most important things that you could do because what do you rely on? You rely on your body to right. perform. And so many guys don't wake up and eat breakfast. So many guys don't get in the weight room and, and you know, so many guys are just looking to throw around some weight. Um, and so I, I don't think a lot of, a lot of the, the athletes really have a plan and sit back and think, okay, what, what can I do to better myself in, in all these different areas? Yeah. Um, and, and really having a plan for that and understanding that every move you make with your training, um, what you're doing in your training, what you're eating, all of that plays a huge factor in your performance. Yeah. You know, we were just talking earlier about like what, what would, what is five home runs worth to you? Yeah. You know, what yeah. is, 
what is, you know, X points in your batting average, what, what is that worth to you? What is, you know, because you improve your speed, you improve your coordination, like, what can that really do for you? Yeah, I um, mean, in, in, in contracts, it's millions of dollars, yeah. you know, the, it's, it's, it's exponential growth. And I think something I've always respected about you when, when it goes back to being a teammate is when you talk about your, your process, and this probably comes from, from your dad being science-backed, yeah. um, you always had conviction in what you were doing, even if it was unorthodox, right? Yeah. I mean, it's you're known for your iconic swing that was so different. And people would ask the question, okay, Jeff is not physically like this, doesn't look like this opposing, you know, huge athlete. And how is the power generated? Was it just God-given? And I think maybe talk a little bit about how do you synthesize through all the information? Because every athlete's got a strength coach, right? Every athlete's got people in their ears. How do they even do the due diligence to know, am I in good hands? Well, I, I think I think you hit it on the head is do your due diligence. You know, research this stuff. And, and for me, I'm always explaining why I'm doing stuff or why I'm saying stuff. I'm never just telling an athlete to do this. I want them to understand because they should have the information. Every athlete should know, why am I doing it this way? Right. Is this the best way? When you talk about the swing, for me, is, yeah, I'm not the, the Giancarlo Stanton, <laughs> but, you know, the Aaron Judge athlete where those guys are six seven, um, And so I had to really make sure that I maximize my power. Right. Um, and, and, and I, you know, fortunately through my dad, I... I understood movement not just the swing i understood movement and any ground-based movement all that power is stored up and generated and initiates from your feet and so if you don't have a stable base if you're not initiating from your back foot and transferring that body all through your body right. then you've got some energy leaks and you're missing out on the power that you're capable of hmm. no matter how powerful you are right you're missing out if there's a break in your coordination if that doesn't sync up properly. Right. And so for me, that's how, you know, I'm not a very big person, you know, right. I'm 6'2", 195 now, but I was about 200 when I played, right. how I could be a power guy. Um, and it's, it's goes back to understanding my body in those moments and really how to coordinate and how to use it. Yeah. So as, as we kind of progress back through your career is, you put yourself in this unbelievable position. You have this iconic sophomore year. Go to Team USA. Light it on fire. Going into your junior year, huge expectations, yeah. right? I yeah. mean, I, obviously being a teammate, would read all of this stuff. Um, you know, our head coach was, was pretty classic, so he let us know every day how big of a prospect you were. Um, but, but the season didn't progress the way, you know, that everybody thought it was going to unfold. Um, it's probably not the first time you had faced adversity, but I think for our audience to hear, whether it's some of our draft guys yeah. that are listening to this, that are that are on the cusp of, and today's it's even more crazy on social media, right? Sure. Or, you know, I've seen some of our own clients, high, high prospects get into the big leagues and struggle a little bit. Or even, I mean, if some people knew of some of our iconic clients that we have and hear the conversations we have of them doubting themselves yeah. is, just walk me through that experience your junior year. Yeah, I mean, that, it was a rough time for me because, um, you know, I did come off my sophomore sophomore campaign in the summer with Team USA, and, you know, I'm the number two prospect along with Stephen Drew 
Um, and it was it was a situation I've never, never been in before. I was always the underdog mm. flying under the radar. Nobody knew. And then boom, I was on the scene. Right. And so I'd never been that, that top prospect. And what... And, and I think this was... A, it was a little bit of me in my head, but also listening to other people, is I felt like I had to ch- now change hmm. what had got me there. Wow. And so I started to change my approach a little bit at the plate because I'm like, well, these guys aren't going to pitch to me. You know, I mean... Yeah. And so I started to get away from the approach that got me the success because I started to look at the distractions. Right. And I think that's the hardest thing as an athlete. This this game, the game of baseball, is not necessarily competition between you and the opposition. It's between you and you. Wow. And and it's you being convicted in what you're doing. That's what got me my success is I knew what I needed to do to be successful and I was so convicted in it, regardless of what people were saying. Right. But then once I got on the map, on the radar, it was like Oh man, like I'm gonna have to adjust because they're not gonna, you know, work into my approach. Right. And I, I would say that if if there was one mistake that I made along the way, it was that that I, that I got off my plan that I was so convicted in. And um, you know, it's hard. It's it it's why you see so many guys struggle. I mean, I just because I I knew that and dealt with it then didn't yeah. doesn't mean I wouldn't struggle later on, which I still have my struggles. Right. Um but I think I think if there's one message to to every athlete out there, it's you've got to have a detailed plan and know exactly what you need to do to be successful and you have to stay committed to that. Yeah. Um it, there's if you're not committed to what you're doing then you are going to struggle. Yeah. Um, and, and you're going to have a tough time dealing with that struggle. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And I, something that I know just from, from being around during that process is, um, once again, you know, we were privileged to be at ASU and to, to play for Pat Murphy, who brought outside people in as far as resources and, and Harvey Dorfman. Yeah. And we hear for the athletes so much is, Mental game, mental game. What yeah. separates the boys from the men is the mental game. Yet, it's still, even today, a taboo conversation, right? It's it's more of this, you know, flinch that there must be something wrong instead of looking at it as a performance enhancer. Can you just talk about the, the importance of the mental game and how it helped you and, and what advice you'd give to the athlete of utilizing those resources? Yeah, Harvey Dorfman was a huge resource to me, and unfortunately he passed away back in 2011. Um, but that's such a huge side of it. And as many, I, I think the one thing I want to touch on that I think a lot of athletes you know, have to also look at is, as I look back at myself then, the resources that I re- utilized and I was blessed to have around me, um, I look back and I still realize like, I was in denial. <laughs> I was in denial that, you know, I, I didn't fully believe, Hey, I need people around me. Wow. I felt like, Oh, I'm good enough. I can dig myself out of this. You know, um, not that I didn't utilize him cause I called Harvey a lot and talked with him, but I don't think I ever just sat back and said, man, like I can't do this by myself. Wow. Um, I, I need, I need to rely on other people and I need to share my thoughts with them. 
Because that was something, as much as Harvey and I talked to about stuff, I never really like said, man, I'm struggling hard. Like, mm. I, I, I don't know what the heck is going on. Um, and so I don't, I don't ever think I came to reality in those moments. Yeah. Um, but you know, other than that, having those resources that, that, that really helped me through, like you, there's no self-made people. Yeah. That's bottom line. You need a team around you. And it's, that's why it's so important. Like I said earlier, to surround yourself, find people yeah. that can help you in these certain areas, whether it's the financial side, whether it's the strength side, whether it's the mental conditioning side the baseball side, whatever it is, um, find those people that have the right agenda and do your due diligence right. to, to finding the right people and then hold on to them. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, uh, just sticking on that of, you know, there are no self-made people. This where I think so much of you being a business owner comes in yeah. is because as an athlete, your physical talent can carry you so far. Right. And, this is, you know, the athlete CEO podcast. And the reason we do that intentionally is trying to focus on what it takes to become a professional, um, you know, approach to your career. And yeah. can you just talk about maybe why some of those lessons showed up in business that, that puts some meat on the bones of what was it that made you realize like, Hey, I can't be a self-made business owner. Oh, man, working 70 hours a week. <laughs> that's, that's what will do it yeah. to you. You start yeah. to you start to feel the effects. I mean, three years in, I'm working seventy hours a week, and I got three kids, four on the way yeah. now, and I'm like physically feeling the effects. Yeah, and you get so exhausted and so tired that it's you get to the point where it's like, my gosh, like <laughs> I need this team around me, and it, yeah. and it does. I don't think I don't think that resonated as much as as it. I feel like it should have back then. Yeah. Um, I kind of knew it and I kind of had people on my team and I yeah. utilized them, but I don't feel like, I, I still feel like it was, I can handle this and I can do this and I can get myself there rather than like, man, I really need this person. Yeah. I really need them here and to utilize them more than I did. Yeah. Um, whereas now in business, it's like, I can't do everything. Otherwise I'm physically going to feel the effects. And so I have to, I have to figure out what roles does my business need to succeed and then finding people that can hmm. fit those roles and succeed in those roles. Yep. And I have to be able to communicate that stuff to them. And I think as an athlete, you know, you don't have that mindset. Hmm. Um, I wasn't ever around somebody that really made me aware of that component of, okay, I need, I need this person on the hitting side. I need to find somebody that I can really trust and then rely on them. Right. You know, the strength side, um, I had somebody, you know, there on that strength side and in the financial side and all yeah. that type of stuff. Cause we had, yeah. we had dealt with that, but I don't think it really hit home. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I think one of the things to kind of touch on back where you started is, you know, why me? Why should people buy into me? Um, is because I've went through that stuff. Yeah. And I think those are the big things that, um, you know, we talk about marketing our business and, and all that type of stuff that's aside. What, what's going to cause people to be attracted to us? Yeah. And I start to think, well, who, what are the businesses that I'm attracted to? Who are the, the people that I'm attracted to? Yeah. And it's those people you feel like you can relate to. 
right. that, that feel like, oh man, they've been, they know where, what I'm dealing with. They yeah. know where I've been. Um, and so that's the big thing that I try and get across is, you know, it's, it's finding people that you can relate with. Yeah. Um, and I think what you said, the communication standpoint is huge. And this is the one thing that we try to communicate to our clients all the time is you are the best expert on you. Yeah. And as much as, as much as your spouse, your agent, your financial person, your strength coach, as much as they can try and be proactive, yeah. like you got to carry the weight, right? Yeah. It's on you that like, you've got to initiate the conversation. All those people want to see you succeed, but a lot of times they don't know how to engage you. They don't know when to engage you. Right. And and as athletes, I get it. We've been taught to put up this shield, right? Or this persona that I can't, I can't admit when something's going on. But what you realize is the majority of performance issues rarely have to do with your physical performance, right? You know, it's, or if there is something physically wrong, well, I can't go in the training room. I don't want to talk to somebody. And so I think that communication of, yeah. is so important. And would you maybe talk about, you know, the, the agent relationship of not even from like a, a business standpoint, but more of, you know, what role should an agent play in a, in a player's life on that type of, you know, performance side? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that's a, it's a hard question because the backgrounds of agents are so different. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the relationship that you have or you're looking for can be so different player to player and agent to, you know, agent to player. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I was a guy who I didn't, I didn't really need to talk to my agent a ton. Right. Um, I just wanted to feel like, Hey, when the time comes where you need to fight for me, fight for me, like make me feel that side of things. And I think looking back to your point is I don't really think that I ever communicated that and said that flat out. Right. It was always something that it was like, you know, well, I felt like they should know. <laughs> and you know, as well as I do, yeah. especially being in a marriage relationship, yeah. when you're in a relationship, you can't read minds. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's where the communication is, right. is so important. And the more that you can voice what you're looking for, your expectations, um, that's so crucial. And I see it in the, our employees that we staff is, if I'm not laying out the expectations, how are they going to know Correct. what I want them to do or expect right. them to do? And if they're not doing what I want, I can't get necessarily get mad at them if I've never communicated that. Right. And so I have to look at myself and say, you know, well, did I do that? And I know, um, you know, as far as the looking at, in my case, there were some frustrations that I had with, with my agent, but you know, as I get older and have a little more perspective, <laughs> I think that I, I, I have to look myself in the mirror yeah. and say, you know, did I fully communicate this? And, you know, I do, I, I will have to admit that there, I had a part in it because there's two people in the yeah. relationship. So I can't just put that all on them. That's not fair. I, that's a better answer than I could have ever asked because two things, right? Is, is, clarifying what your expectations are, right? Like, what are my goals? Like, how can I even meet those? If those haven't been clarified, it's a complete failure no matter what. Like, you're only guaranteed to fail because I can't meet expectations that I don't even know exist. Yeah. And then communicating those. You know, sure. I, I think in, those are those are two massive points. Um, 
it kind of makes me think of just even getting back to having clarity of plan and processes. So you overcome your junior year, right? You, you have clarity in your mind of going, you know, I'm not happy with the way things happened my junior year. You make a decision to turn down a boatload of money to come back your senior year, right? It works out. We go to College World Series. You hit three home runs in one game. I mean, it's like an ESPN classic still to this day. It's awesome. Minor league career, you kind of fast forward. Things are going extremely well. Boom. Big league call up. Gary Sheffield gets hurt. You get called up. You start your career one for 12. I'm reading this through one of your Instagram posts, yeah. which I just I just love. Um, and Gary Sheffield could have totally just been like, forget this guy. I want him to fail <laughs> yeah. so he can get out of my way. I can get back in my career and go. He doesn't say that. What, what's the advice he gives you um, during that time? Yeah, so during that time, like the, the crazy part about the team that I got called up into is I think eight of, eight of the nine starters were all-stars. <laughs> and you had Magler Donias, Miguel Cabrera, Curtis Granderson, like all these guys, Brandon Inge, Pudge Rodriguez. I mean, it's just crazy. Carlos Guillen, Placido Blanco, I could go on and on with how great these guys were. And it's an intimidating situation yeah. as a young guy to come up in. is like, my gosh, these guys are so good. Um, and so, yeah, with, with a, a guy like Gary Sheffield, who I watched growing up, yeah. and I loved the way he attacked the game. Um, you never know how these guys are going to react. Totally. And so when you're coming and taking somebody's spot, you know, you could potentially get guys that aren't going to, you know, really be for you. And so I started, started my career, um, in that fashion, I'm kind of down on myself and I was always a guy who tried to go and ask questions. Hmm. you know, reach out to the older guys and just ask questions. And I asked them like, Hey, you know, I'm really struggling with focusing on my results. Um, especially starting the way I've started because you start to, it starts to creep in. Well, I'm not going to play the next day if I don't get a hit <laughs> or I'm going to be sent down. Yeah. Um, those thoughts creep in your head and you know, he's somebody who hit like 300 every year with 30 home runs and hundred RBIs. It seemed like, <laughs> yeah. And so I asked him, how do, how do you deal with that? And his point to, was that I have my plan of what I need to do to be successful. Hmm. And I come to the park with that plan. At the end of the day, I assess, was I 100% committed to my plan? If the answer is yes, doesn't matter the result. If the answer is no, I know the next day I've got to come back and fully commit to my plan. If I can do that and commit to my plan every single day, yeah. at the end of the year, at the end of the season, I know that my numbers will be where they should be. Hmm. And so it was such a profound thing to to hear because it's like you know it, yeah. but it resonates when somebody like that says it. Yeah. Like, and, and it's like he gets what I'm going through. Like, yeah. you know, he's not immune to this either. Yeah, And he said... The other thing that kind of hit me is, is if you start to focus on just your results, you know, day to day, it's going to be a roller coaster of a year, which it kind of was feeling like that roller coaster of emotion. Um, And I knew that from past experience as well, right? Getting caught up into that. And so while I even went through that back then, it was still hitting me here. Yeah. Um, So it was just nice to have that person around to, to, you know, give you that perspective again. Not that I didn't know it. Yeah, but just 
it, it, it was really beneficial in that moment. People have said it all the time, right? We hear it in the business world too. It's like focus on the process, don't focus on the results. It's such one of those common things, or you know, have better habits, or those, you know, just trite comments that 100% are true, but they're really hard to implement. And so, I heard you on another podcast talking about like people want to achieve things, right? We most of us want to live a better life. Most of us want to stick to the process, but. How do you create a process? That, well, that's, that's a great point because that's what I was going to say is like a lot of people don't know what the process is. Yeah. And, and so for me, that's where my information, I work so hard to try and give tactical information. Of. Hmm. I'm not just going to tell you philosophically you need a process or you need a right. plan. I want to teach you how to develop that. Um, you know, for me, you have to number one, establish what your goals are. You got to figure out what you want to accomplish. Yeah. Um, and then from there, you have to figure out, okay, where am I and how far away from that goal am I? Right. And you have to then also figure out, okay, what are the steps that it's going to take? Um, you know, if, if you're not sure, that's where it enters into play of you got to build a team around you. Right. You need that regardless. But at right. that point, you may need them a little bit sooner and figure out who can help you figure out what those steps yeah. are. Um, you know, and, and, and it really has to be a detailed plan. I, you know, I can, I think everybody can relate to like cleaning a house, right? right? If I told you, Hey, you need to go clean this house and that's all I gave you, you'd kind of go in there like, uh, but if I gave you a detailed plan supplies and I said, okay, you're going to go in and start with the bathroom. You're going to wipe down the mirrors. You're going to wipe down the sink, the toilets, then you're going to clean the floors. And I walk you step by step through everything else right. you're going to get done with that probably quicker than you would have you're probably going to be more efficient and effective in what you're doing Absolutely. Um, and you can also know that you did everything that you needed to do right because you had that all that right there yeah so those are the types of things that i'm trying to do for athletes is i'm trying to give you the plan and the tools yeah so that you can know was i successful you can know Hey, I can be fully committed because this is what I need to do to be successful. Yeah. And it's detailed enough to know exactly what you need to do. Can, can you talk about what type of goals for, and here I'm talking for the elite athlete, right? Because one of the other super shocking things to me, but when I think back my own career, like I didn't have reach goals, big audacious, hairy goals, right? I didn't have clarity and like, this is what I'm really going after. And I, and I unfortunately see that in a lot of players. There are very few players that we work with or that I interact with that I go, they're on a mission. Like yes. there are very few people that are on a mission. There are a lot of, I'm really talented and I might have some general picture, but yeah. not like, nope, commander's intent, I'm coming yeah. after it. You're what? Well, I think... I think so many guys are afraid to fail. Hmm. They're afraid to establish those goals and then come up short. Yeah. And I look back at my career, you know, I, that's kind of the things that I feel like is there were times where I was on a mission and then there were times where I wasn't. And it was those times when I got off that, that I really struggled. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's really figure out what you want to accomplish and then come up with a plan later. Right. Like, you know, you've got to, if you, if you want to be a 10 time all-star, 
you know, in the big leagues, go after that and do everything possible to do that. And with inside you of having that attack mode, um, Kobe Bryant's a perfect example of like, dude, he's like, now that he's out of cool. basketball, hearing him talk about yeah. stuff, he's somebody that gets it. Yeah. He's somebody that gets that mama mentality he's talking about. That's that attack mode. He did everything that he could possibly do to be successful. Right. And he went after it and didn't, did not let anybody take him off course. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's looking back, especially on my career, I wish I would have, you know, laid that on the line a little bit more and had that more of an attack mentality that this is the goal and I am going to accomplish it every single day. Yeah. Um, instead of just kind of here and there and, and, but again, the hard thing is you start to struggle and doubt creeps in and you start to see some of the distractions and it yeah. takes you off course. It, it totally shifts your focus yeah. from what you need to do to be successful and be in attack mode. Yeah. And I think when it comes to the big leagues, there are so many distractions, especially nowadays, yeah. um, that can take you off. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's one little thing one day and then it tends to snowball. Yeah. And if you're not made aware of those and if you don't have a plan, it's really easy to get taken off course and not even realize it. And I think that that's where it also goes into like your team. Who do you have surrounding yourself? And this is from a, one of my favorite books is from an author, Keith Ferrazzi wrote a book first and foremost called Never Eat Alone. But his second book has actually had a bigger impact. It's called Who's Got Your Back? And, yeah. and it talks about what are true friendships? You know, are they candid? Are they vulnerable? Um, is there accountability? And right and, and because there's love and compassion, that's what allows there to be a candid conversation. And, and I think of in the business world today is, you know, we have a strategic plan of our business. You know, I, with my friends, we share a life plan that's very detailed but the reason I share that with people in my group is because I do life with a group of men or business partners that if they see me doubting myself or getting off track as they get us right back on. And I think that that's another <coughs> area that, that is just missing in most yeah. athletes lives is they don't have people that um, are willing to risk the relationship or there really isn't true depth of friendship, right? Um, and that can be a really lonely place in those times that you're talking about is, you might see a guy who throws 100 miles an hour and you're like, why is he pitching like he throws 88? Because he's scared, Yeah. but he hasn't talked to anybody about right. it. You know? And so I just think having quality people around you is, is so important. So, it's such a great point. Um, you know, I Looking back on my career, I, I, I wish I would have had people that were um, I, or I wish the people around me would have spoke up a little bit more of like, dude, you got to stop pouting. Yeah. Like you got to, you can do this, get in attack mode, get on your mission and go for it. Yeah. And you know, telling me, Hey, you're kind of being a baby here. Cause there were times where us as athletes, we start <laughs> to feel sorry for yourself. And you're, like stop, knock that out. I, I wish I would have had a little bit more of that, yeah. but I think it does now kind of working with athletes you see that while we're brought up to be rough exterior, you know, and yeah. we're able to block things out, we're still people. Yeah. And so it doesn't always feel great when somebody's honest with you of like, yeah. let's, let's go. You need to change this or you need to do this. Yeah. Um, and, and it, it is that 
that fine line. But like you said, I think that the relationship has to be established. And that's why it's so important to understand agendas yeah. of people and, and really understanding it. what is their intent. Like I could have somebody around me that's like, you're so great. You're so great pumping me up. But is that really what I need? Right. And, and I think, I think in the, the sport world, from what I've seen from baseball guys is sometimes they surround themselves with like yes men and like Absolutely. pump up men rather than real. Yeah. You know, let's have a conversation. Yeah. Um, hey, this is, this is what I see, you know, knowing you, you're kind of steering down the wrong, wrong path, focus on the wrong thing. Um, you can get back on track and, you know, right. then the encouragement kind of comes, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's definitely, um, I think so many of the relationships are very, um, surface right and there's not a lot of depth to it and those people tend to just be the pump up yeah yes men or women type of thing yeah and and staying on kind of like the quality of relationships and just this is kind of transitioning to the end just being respectful of your time is so your career is cut way shorter than 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 you expect right yeah. severe ankle injury um I know that transition what wasn't easy, no. you know. Um, yeah. Talk a little bit about just that, and, and it's ultimately going to lead me into the question of like, how do you define success? Because I think as athletes, you know, it's it's so performance based yeah. on the field, and our identities are so tethered to performance um, that it's usually not through until an experience like like we're about to talk about that guys kind of recognize maybe during their careers, how do I actually become more healthy in relationships and healthy, like overall, just, just share that experience of what it was like to have to, you know, physically just not be able to, to compete at the level you were and, and transition into real life. Yeah, it, that was, that was rough. I mean, everything I ever want to do is baseball. Um, I've had people around here like, you know, when you were going to college, well, what, did, what else did you want to do? I was like, nothing. I want to play baseball. That's all I ever want to do. And I thought I was going to have a 10-plus major league career, be able to have some financial security, and then kind of do whatever I wanted um, from there. And I'd figure it out later. And so, you know, I break my ankle. Um, it subsequently was the same year that Harvey Dorfman actually passed. So my, the guy that I went to to really kind of confide in. Um, and that was, that was hard. Um, you know, I had my, I had my wife and I had my family there, but Harvey was a person who we connected on a different level and he got me on a different level where, um, I felt like I could share some other stuff with him. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it was a really, really hard time. I, I had that, you know, I tried to come back five months too soon, which was a mistake. Um, I, my performance suffered dramatically. Um, and then it just got me caught in a bad situation. And I ended up getting in a situation where, you know, I kind of got yanked around, didn't play. And, you know, um, unfortunately couldn't overcome that to then get a job the next year. Right. And so it, it was, as I went through that process, as spring training came, you know, two years now removed from my injury and I didn't have a job, it's like, Oh crap, what am I going to do? And, you know, for about, for about eight, nine months, I was in pretty bad depression of like, I'm trying to put a resume together and I'm like, who's going to hire me? I, 
I have a degree, but right. like I'm almost 30 years old, you know, I'm now <laughs> going to enter the job world at 18. Like I don't have any job experience. Yeah. And at that point I was, I was very just baseball. It hurt me. Yeah. And so at that time I didn't really want to be anywhere around baseball if it wasn't playing. And so it's like, well, what else am I qualified to do other than go be a coach <laughs> somewhere, you know? Yeah. Um, so I had to do a, a lot of searching and, and you know, I spent a lot of time feeling sorry for myself. Um, spent a lot of time just like doing nothing. And I finally got to the point is like, you know, I, we had to sell our house, you know, we had, you know, no income coming in and you know, what we did have is kind of funneling out because of our expenses. And it's like, I got to get, pick myself up and do something. I've got to make a decision. Either I'm going to, you know, wallow in my sorrows and we're going to, you know, be financially broke or I've got to make a move and do something. And, um, my wife had her degree in kinesiology and, and she was, uh, doing strength conditioning for a, a club volleyball team as well as Scottsdale community college and their assistant volleyball coach. And, um, as we started to develop KST, the shoulder program right. towards the trail end of my career, I'd gotten very interested and intrigued in movement and anatomy and physiology and kinesiology and all that stuff of how the body works. And with my dad's background, it kind of, you know, that was where my education was. Right. You know, even though I didn't have a formal degree, I was getting educated by someone with a PhD in that. Right. So I really had a degree <laughs> even though I didn't have a piece of paper. Right. And so, um, it kind of led us to open the facility. Um, and we, we started with the CrossFit side of it. Um, you know, there's, there's, we see extreme benefits, but we also saw some shortcomings in it, in some of the stuff, the movement side. So we tried to take the exo side, the CrossFit side and really blend it and bring the beauty of both together. Yeah. And, you know, we had a large number of volleyball players that we were training. So we opened up to more athletes and started to develop a sports performance program and, you know, things kind of developed from there and we started a baseball club. And so we're trying to do all this stuff really, um, with one goal of trying to provide the best sport and fitness experience for families, you know, because that's, that's the thing I started to look at is we wanted to be a resource for people where you could bring us on your team. Right. And you could know we've been through where you're going, yeah. what you're going through. And our agenda is you, that's what we care about. Um, and you know, we felt like we had so much expertise in so many different areas, um, that we could kind of be that one-stop resource, um, for families in, that are going through the whole sports process. Yeah. Um, it's, you guys really do sit as this unique deal. You're both former division one athletes, right? Yeah. And, and you playing at the professional level, your dad's your dad's background, so the environment you were brought up in, you know, I've seen that the certifications that, that you've gone on to attain yourself, you know, and what I love about your guys' approach is it really is about the end client. You guys are huge on education. Yeah. And uh, we were joking around before I came of just even me, I unfortunately live a half hour from here, so it's it's not easy to come over here to train, but I can hop on and, and see some videos. Yeah. You know, if our audience is interested, where can they find you? Yeah, so we have, you can find me on Instagram, okay. the statue19. Um, 
And then my wife's also doing nutrition stuff with Dead Red Kitchen okay. on Instagram as well. But we have a YouTube channel at Dead Red Conditioning um, where can, people can find that. And that's what, that's kind of what we've really been kind of working on lately is is getting our information out there. You know, if you do live 30 minutes an hour away or if you're in a different state, is trying to get our information out to the masses because, you know, I, I come from a family of educators, so does, so does my wife, and that's such a huge component. So we just want people to be educated and get the right information. Yes. You know, there's, there's so much misinformation out there with no matter what the topic, especially nowadays when anybody can create a YouTube channel or have Instagram and get exposure, right. it becomes hard to decipher what's the right information. Yes. And for us, you know, the way we try and combat that is we try and tell our story and hopefully people connect with us there. Yeah. And then we try and give um, tactical information and we try and explain our information of right. why are we saying this? And, and hopefully it's in a way for people to understand okay, that does make sense and why that might be the best way to approach things. Yeah. And so, you know, we're hoping that people, that resonates with people and people start to see that and, you know, we can get our information out there even more. Yeah. Well, for the audience too, I'll put all of this in the show notes, all of the links to you guys' YouTube channel, which I know is one of the best places to be able to get information. Yeah. Um, this has been a ton of fun. Thank you so much for the investment and the time and, you know, how about as far as like uh, reaching out and contacting you? Is there an easy way to do that? If there is a specific athlete or family that wants to learn a little bit more information beyond checking out a video, you know, what's yeah. the best way to get in touch? Yeah, with for you? sure. My email is Jeff at deadredcrossfit.com. So feel free to email me if you have any questions or need any help with anything. Perfect. Well, yeah. thank you so much for the time. We uh, wish you and, and Julia and, and the Dead Red uh, Conditioning CrossFit team uh, a ton of success and. Uh, for the audience, we appreciate you guys tuning in uh, to another episode. And if you guys have any feedback or any questions, please uh, contact me at eric at athleteceo.com. And until then, we'll see you next week on the Athlete CEO Podcast.